Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another action-packed, fun-filled adventure with the V Brownback crew and tonight's guest, the illustrious, the amazing, the heavily bearded Keith Townsend of the CTOAdvisor.com. We're very excited to have him today. Um, a couple of quick housekeeping notes. Um, Please get in on the conversation. Uh, both Tom and I are, are watching the Twitters on the back end. So if you hashtag V Brownback uh, with any questions that you have there, we will we will be um, posing those to Keith. Or if you're live in the uh, in the chat box, obviously put your put your questions in there. Um, our guest this evening, of course, is Keith Townsend. He is at CTO Advisor. Um, I am Chris Williams at Mistwire. Tom, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Tom Green at uh, TBGREE00, and, and I'll be uh, watching Twitter for uh, the hashtag VBrownBag or anything said to at VBrownBag. Uh, I'll ask questions and uh, be doing a lot of silly tweeting over there, so uh, feel free to hang out with me and my uh, gifts. Tonight's theme is Star Wars prequels, so join me there. Awesome. Cool. And Mr. Townsend, I will, uh, I will turn over the presentation to you. All right, so let's uh, do a little share screen here in a second. My main screen, yes, let's show that. Thank you have the power. Much. You're welcome. I have the power. All right, I can see your screen. All right, so first off, everyone, thank you for joining. It sees uh, a nice little crowd building. Hmm. So off the bat, if you've done one of my V Brown Bag sessions before, I don't like slides. The whole point of V Brown Bag, and especially attending these things live, is to uh, I give them so that I award those who are attending these events live. So if you're watching this via YouTube, yeah, well, you know what? You'll still get some uh, information out of it because your illustrious and live persons are going to ask questions to Tom, and Tom is going to relay those questions to me, and hopefully this, this training will be geared towards uh, your specific needs. So let's talk first briefly about the uh, requirement that we'll be covering in the agenda about what I'll be covering part of the requirement. Obviously, this the V Brown Bag session is only about an hour, so it's almost uh, impossible to, not almost impossible, it is impossible to cover everything in the security requirement, but we'll cover, I think, the media parts of it, so we'll get some a good starter on the sessions, and we'll talk about, if I can get over to the doggone... You guys can see my Twitter for a second. Let's, uh... Hey, look, All it's right. me. So there you go. All right, so let's look at the requirement a little bit for this data security or security in, in general. This part we don't care too much about. We're talk looking at right here, this security architecture with AWS, shared responsibility model. We'll talk about that an awful lot. AWS platform compliance, we'll uh, go through that. AWS, uh, AWS security attributes, eh, we'll talk a, a little bit about that. Security services, again, a little bit. AWS identity and access management, this is, the I think, the, the live part. I'll walk you through that IAM GUI because you will spend a lot of time in IAM in general. 
uh, virtual private cloud. At this point, you guys, if you've been following the V Brown Bank series on AWS certification, you should have this down pat by now. If not, we'll maybe cover it a little bit. Uh, egress and ingress filtering, we're not going to cover that tonight. Core Amazon EC2 and S3 security feature sets, we'll talk about encryption. So we'll go over the formal agenda. I think the encryption part is probably one of the toughest things about S3, and we'll talk about that. Uh, incorporating common conventional security products, firewalls, uh, etc. So, you know, AWS has a uh, marketplace, and then if you're doing hybrid implementations, you need to understand the touch points between AWS and your corporate security edge, we're not going to talk about that. Neither are we going to talk about uh, design patterns or DDoS mitigation. Encryption solutions, we're, we'll touch on that. We'll spend actually a little bit of time. Hopefully, i give you an introduction to that. You might need to watch the video a couple of times to uh, get through this uh, with encryption because AWS encryption options are kind of dizzying. The acronyms, they throw them at you hard, and I'm certain that they'll be on a test even though I haven't taken it. Uh, complex access controls, building, uh, building sophisticated security groups, ACLs, etc. We'll, we'll talk about ACLs and security groups I'll show you the interface in IAM, which will give you the basis to go out and do your own thing. CloudWatch was a uh, tough call to kind of cut out of this because it's really interesting. And it is most definitely part of your tool set that you'll need if you're going to practically administer AWS. You would spend a lot of time in CloudWatch, or at least a lot of the tools that you would purchase third party would uh, would uh, use or leverage CloudWatch. So with that said, any initial questions out the gate? Let's see, uh, nothing live. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything on uh, on Twitter yet. We still have some more people streaming uh, in. So. And I will watch Twitter in the background as well. I, I, this, I don't use this second monitor very often. I can barely see it now, so hopefully this isn't uh, this doesn't become an I issue for me. All right, so let's with that let's get the party started. So again, remember I only have twelve slides. I mean eleven, and uh, I think four of them are title slides. So this is <laughs> this has to be in interactive. Otherwise, uh, guys, it's going to be a slow, slow. It's going to be a short night. And let me switch my displays so let's do that again and swap displays because of course it puts the presenter one on and while Keith's right. doing that if you guys are uh, watching live and you want to raise your hand I'll unmute you if you want to actually talk and not proxy through me and that works for me as well Tom thanks all right, so let's get started. First off uh, disclaimer a lot of this material came from my Pluralsight course on uh, AWS security fundamentals. My first my first Pluralsight course, uh, if, if I had to give myself a rating, I'd probably give myself three stars. It's, it's a useful course. Uh, go back, watch it. Uh, there's a couple of really, uh, if I have to recommend any sessions, the one on AWS uh, 
S3 encryption is probably extremely helpful because that's one of those things that if you try and lab it on your own, we're not going to do the lab here. I think the lab in there may help you a lot. The lab on IAM also will go deeper than what we'll go tonight, and that's great. Now, just AWS in general, especially from an administrator's perspective, search on Ni Nigel Poulton's name for his yeah. AWS courses. I know Nigel was mainly known for his uh, Docker courses, but his AWS courses are fabulous. I was working on a different course, and I watched one of his, uh, his uh, AWS, I think it was AWS, VPCs for administrators. I learned a ton of stuff, so I can't, I cannot more highly recommend Nigel's AWS stuff. Watch it before you watch anything that I have put out on uh, Plural Site. I'm serious. It's 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 like it, it's, it is good. I, I just, it is insanely good. Yeah, it is. All right. So uh, share responsibility. This is something that you're going to hear throughout all of your AWS training, so especially when it comes to security. So I'm going to hit it right off the bat. We're going to integrate it into some of the discussion today. Share responsibility is a key, key concept to have down when it comes to AWS. And my slides are out of order, so obviously we're going I should have not have edited them right before the the course. I should have edited them afterwards, but that's okay. But share responsibility. We're going to talk share responsibility, audit and compliance, identity access management, and then I'm going to touch on encryption. So from a shared identity or share responsibility piece, you guys are going to see this or a very similar uh, diagram. I kind of modeled this one out after the one that AWS has created on their website. So there's two parts of security in AWS. AWS takes care of the physical parts of the data center, the locks, the clocks, the guys with the guns, the lo hiding the location of the data center making sure from a disaster recovery and availability zone that you have a diverse set of options. They're going to ensure from a compliance perspective, and we'll talk about compliance, they're going to ensure that you have, uh, that they have all of the controls that you need from the various compliant uh, standards. So if you're in the U.S. or you're in Europe, they're going to make sure that you have, if you're under a some type of HR requirement or some data sovereignty piece, they're going to make sure that the persons accessing the data center have uh, are U.S. citizens or European U citizens or whatever the regional requirements are. They are going to provide to you the physical compute, storage, database, networking. So all of these services that AWS provides, they are responsible for making sure those services in themselves are available and secure. After that, the customer starts to take over when it comes to responsibility. So from a logical perspective, I like to give this scenario my favorite one 
is EC2 instances. So at this point in the B Brown Bag series, you guys should have deployed EC2 instances, assigned some S3 storage to uh, be consumed, maybe even played around with a little bit of data, databases, and most definitely their software-defined networking and in, in the, in the VPC. AWS has provided all of that. When you initially deploy an AMI, especially from AWS's infrastructure, it is going to be already patched. At that point, it is a secured system. But patch management from that point forward, and this is common through most infrastructure as a service providers, is now the responsibility of the customer. They've given you the golden image. The golden image to that point is up to date with the latest patches up, up to that point. But three months from now, two months from now, two days from now, when Microsoft, SUSE, Rail, or Ubuntu, whoever the provider, Canonical, when they release a patch for the system, for that OS, it's now the customer's responsibility to patch that system. This is something that people forget. So we're in this hybrid world where developers go out and they consume AWS themselves. They build fabulous applications. Three months later or a year later, two years later, they fall on their face either because they've gotten audited or they've had a security uh, incident. And it goes back to simple stuff that we in the enterprise have done our whole career, which is patch and check for vulnerabilities of the individual layers that live on top of the OS. So it's, it's critical to understand what AWS provides and what, where the customer responsibilities rely. So logical stuff, practical security uh, measures like least privileged security to the AWS uh, control panel. You, if, if someone, if a auditor needs the ability to audit the API calls to the control panel, you wouldn't give him full administrative access, which also gives him the ability to create uh, security keys, create users, that's just, that's bad security. And that's not bad security on AWS's part, that's bad security on the, on the customer's part. Networking, net, network security. AWS by default is a micro-segmented uh, environment. No, no one trusts any, no instance trusts no other instance. By default, you'd have to go in and specifically give access. So you wouldn't open a uh, access control list from one VPC to another VPC saying any any is allowed because that's just plain bad security. Not bad security on AWS part. They gave you the tools to create uh, sound security policies, but it's up to you to, as the customer, to leverage that and implement that. So Tonight, as we go through some of the AWS features and, and control panel, we'll talk through the, the base capability that AWS gives you to implement the, your security uh, design and controls versus you designing those controls and implementing them yourself. So any questions about shared access before we jump into the next topic? 
yes, one one quick question online. Um, that you're referring to on-demand and reserved instance boxes, not necessarily um, uh, uh, service service systems like Aurora or or any of or any of these service offerings. Is that correct? Yeah. So that, that's a good point. So that's why we have a, an example like databases in general. So anything that's what we traditionally call infrastructure as a service versus that pass layer. So the conversation is mainly around infrastructure as a service versus pass. So if you're consuming Aurora, if you're consuming, uh, you know, S3 is a great example. If you're, con if you're consuming S3, you don't have to worry about patching S3. AWS has patched S3. But when it comes to security of S3, you have to worry about, uh, and we'll get into encryption, whether the data is encrypted at rest and the, the security keys around it and who has access to that uh, data, th those are all things the customer controls and including also the database. So if you're consuming uh, a, a hosted MySQL from, if you're uh, RDMS from AWS, you're not worried about that RDMS patch level. AW, that falls into the AWS realm of security, but you do have to worry about that logic, logical security. If you go into the control panel and create a database user and uh, share that database user's password or make, make it a simple password and share it out to the world, then, hey, that's not on AWS's uh, watch that you've been uh, pwned. So, so that was a re really good question. So they shouldn't use the password VMware Bang. Is is that accurate? Uh, I like to. I, you know what? I like to do password one two three with a three capitalized. So. One two three four five six. That's the same password on my luggage. <laughs> yeah, but that was a really good question. That when I first started to think about this, you know, AWS is edging into or getting into all of these services that are gray from a pure. You know, they're not just providing VMs anymore. Or I don't know if they've ever just provided VMs. But, you know, thinking in, in concepts beyond VMs, if it's a service that they provide, they secure the base service and make sure that service is patched. If it's a logical resource such as a uh, VM, then it's an OS, then you, you're responsible for that patching. Gotcha. Thanks. Keith, uh, playing off of that, and Ken Nelbon just asked, is there a service that makes keeping my AWS instances up to date easy, something akin to WSUS for on-premises? Yeah, so this is where the third-party service providers come into play. You know, we're, we're seeing a repeat of all of the uh, AWS partnerships. I don't personally know of a service. You know, traditionally, I would approach this like I would, approach any other infrastructure. If I'm deploying uh, SUSE, I look at SUSE, SUSE's management stack for doing patch management or Rails repositories, et cetera, et cetera. But there are third-party uh, uh, providers that will manage this for you, especially when you think about there's a lot of apps that's coming up that are, that are basically software as a service apps built on IaaS within your AWS infrastructure. So it'll do stuff like auto-scaling uh, for the app uh, themselves. They basically, you're basically paying, there's two separate bills. It's the bill you pay uh, AWS for the infrastructure, 
And then there's the bill you're paying for the SaaS service, and that SaaS service will automatically keep the instances and the AMIs and containers up to date. I, I'm seeing an awful lot of that, of containers being are, as the me method of delivery of SaaS applications within your IaaS infrastructure. So you, you'll, you'll be able to find all kind of uh, market solutions for uh, keeping your instances up to date. That's another good question. Nice. All right, so audit and compliance. I hope at this point we've gotten to the point that uh, we're, we're no longer believing the foot that cloud computing in general is less secure than the rest of the environment. That is, from an engineering perspective, I think most people on the line will fall into the realm of firmly believing that AWS, Azure, IBM, all the big cloud providers, Rackspace, et cetera, they're all better at security than 90, 95% of us, if not more, a bigger number. But that does us little good if we can't prove it. When the auditor comes in and wants to audit our environment, we need to be able to prove that we're, we have the controls and the controls are in place. And generally speaking, AWS has a huge list of uh, certifications for compliance. I, I provided a, a link in here, but it is massive. So ISO 2701, uh, private card, uh, uh, payment card industry, so PCI, FedRAM, uh, HIPAA, the, the list is massive. But again, this is something that we have to think through when it comes to shared responsibility. And we are going to uh, have a little spinach with tonight's session and talk through uh, shared responsibility from a compliance and audit lens in each one of the major areas, which I hopefully is ah, good. The slides work in the next slide. So each one of these areas, if you're studying for the AWS test, and this is more just, you know, if this, if this course that we're doing tonight is more than just, you know, you want general knowledge around AWS, you want more layer, more areas to dive in deeper when it comes to security, this part right here is is probably a lab or a set of labs in each one of in each one of these cases, and let's talk through a couple of them. Network configuration. So VPCs. We talked about this in the earlier session. AWS did a fabulous job over the past three or four AWS reinvents. They put it out on. YouTube, if you Google, uh, uh, if you search in YouTube for AWS networking deep dive reInvent, that one hour uh, session will pretty much blow your mind. Oh, no, it's not that. It's called moving. A, if you search for a deep dive AWS reInvent networking, you'll get the course, but it's a billion packets, moving a billion packets in a, in a day. What it takes for AWS to move so much data in a secure manner is an amazing concept. Their software-defined network 
the, the also called the VPC, Virtual Private uh, Cloud, is a really, really cool platform. I have, as a former or, re or reformed network administrator, I have a high level of respect for what AWS has done when it comes to the capability they provide when it comes to networking. From a physical perspective, so this is V. Brown Bag, and our history as a community comes from VMware. So we, everyone's really excited about NSX and what NSX brings from a micro-segmentation, network virtualization perspective. VPCs are kind of NSX on steroids, steroids because it provides this deep, deep layer of multi-tenancy available to each and every customer. With that comes a impressive array of configuration options. You should really take some time, go through, even if you're not natively a networking guy, if you're traditionally a VMware person, go through, watch Niger's course, watch that move in a billion packets. So they do a great job. If you don't have strong networking background of bringing you up to speed on what's possible when it comes to AWS networking that connectivity from the AWS data centers into your own private cloud, the configuration options, the security pieces of it, and what AWS is responsible for, which is moving the physical packets, ensuring that they have enough bandwidth to accommodate your uh, workloads, and then giving you the capability to provide the access control on top of your network. So that's a lot for that one bullet. I'll stop there for questions really quickly. All right, so if no questions, then we'll talk about logical access control. Again, this is more or less self-explanatory. AWS gives you the control such as I am. Uh, encryption is a way to control access to uh, data. We'll hope maybe we'll talk a little bit about how encryption is used for logical access control. Actually, we can do it here from a practical perspective. I can put a SSH server out on the internet, and AWS we do this for uh, accessing instances. If I have a certificate, I can access a uh, the uh, server's console via SSH. On the open internet, just as long as SSH isn't compromised in itself, like open SSL or something, then I can reliably put something out on the internet, some secure data, and control access via uh, certificates or encryption in general. So that's a control you can decide on whether or not you implement versus physical physical controls, which says you can only access this data if you're physically within a location. And again, AWS VPC allows us to do that logically by saying, you know what, if you're behind this VPN, then you can access this data. If you have these credentials from an identity and access perspective, you can uh, access this data, things that we can study out longer term. Security logging and monitoring, it, AWS, again, the APIs to AWS are extremely powerful. CloudWatch gives us a uh, interesting set of capabilities, but there's gaps. Uh, 
for instance, if in our current environment we may have firewall rules between two hosts that uh, that logs every traffic request to a specific host. AWS doesn't necessarily give you that capability, especially in most point at every point in your network. They'll tell you, but they do give you visibility in um, in and calls to S3. So it's a little bit uneven. Then if you've ever actually looked at one of these logs, they're absolutely unreadable from a, it's so much data and the data is in a JSON type format. It's it's extremely difficult to read. So we'll uh, potentially get third party tools that like Splunk or uh, something based on Splunk. They'll help us uh, talk about or decipher all of this data and make sense of it. And then CloudWatch in itself, the ability to create triggers and alert security tools or monitoring tools, etc. cetera. Uh, inherited controls. Think through the stuff that you inherit just by being a customer of AWS. So from a security perspective, you get all of the you get the benefits of all of the security controls of AWS of AWS just by being a customer. If a instance, if someone if an auditor comes in and says, you know what, show me that no one has physical access to this S3 piece, you can show them the you can go to that link that I provided earlier, the, the toolkit, the AWS audit toolkit. And show them, hey, here's the AWS controls for accessing uh, storage or whatever, and though that is that is in effect your evidence or controls. Most auditors will back off and say that's fine. If they challenge you on that, then you know what, that's an interesting auditor. So I'm, I won't put that past any auditor. <laughs> yeah. So this is something that people don't think a lot about, which is access configuration management. This is something that doesn't go away. CIs, configuration items, uh, don't and change management. Those those security concerns don't go away. One of my favorite stories to share about what it's like to outsource your infrastructure to AWS is the Christmas Eve uh, that uh, Netflix had, in which their service was down almost the whole night Christmas Eve because of a change that happened in independently in AWS's uh, infrastructure for when it came to how they handle load balancing and in Netflix's application, the two uh, changes were a perfect storm. So that is you know, that that comes along the way of security. How do we ensure that the changes that are made in our virtual private cloud are authorized and non-impactful or the impact is understood. Access, assets, asset configuration management, change management is something that we still need to keep our eye on as a customer logically. And again, inherited controls that we get from AWS, you know, when they go from one version of their hypervisor to another one, uh, or they add a new capability to a region. They have controls within their environment to ensure that uh, changes being made to their environment are logged and properly, uh, properly approved. 
again, back to the Netflix example, when they went back and did an RCA, they could go back to the change logs within AWS, their own change logs, and identify the root cause of their outage. So data encryption, I won't talk about that on this slide because I have a whole slide dedicated to uh, data encryption. And then disaster recovery is a good one. You know, S3 famously went down, what, about a month ago. And AWS, again, provides the underlying infrastructure to protect against regional disasters or outages. We, we can choose to replicate our AMIs, our uh, S3 storage, our system states to a different region within AWS's network. AWS gives us that base capability. We just have to take advantage of the uh, capability that AWS provides. Any questions on shared access and governance? Yeah, that, that failure was interesting because a lot of, actually, didn't you write an article about um, lessons learned from that, not keeping all of your eggs in one availability zone? I'm sure I've written, written a couple on the topic. And you know, what makes it a really interesting thing is it's the same challenge that we have in an enterprise, except for AWS just makes implementation a little bit easier. Right. But from a practical pr perspective, one of the reasons why we don't um, uh, spread our risk across multiple data centers is cost. You know, it, replicating data from one data center to another data center cost money. Maintaining two separate uh, environments cost money. When we do that in AWS, you know, spinning up a copy of your data in another region costs money. Uh, maintaining the state of systems, let's say that we're doing uh, load balancing across two different regions, that design and that process and having those systems in multiple regions has operational cost to a customer. So it's, while it's easy to say let's have multiple regions, the cost associated with doing that in the uh, management overhead is, is, is real. That's a good point. All right, so identity access, identity and access management. I am. So, so I am is what we, uh, if you're familiar with traditional enterprise, if, if you've worked in Active Directory before, identity and access management is the core of how you uh, create objects in AWS, security objects in AWS and leverage those security objects against AWS services. This is where all of the magic happens. So we're going to we're going to walk through the IAM console. That's you know there's no better way to describe IAM or or give you a feel for it than to just go there. So let's pull up uh, a little IAM. I like that, uh, whoever did that. I, I didn't get to see who uh, posted that, but that was nice. That was Tom. Yeah, that was me. Okay. 
he has an amazing repertoire of gifts. All right, so this is my AWS account, so please don't try and hack it because I don't want to get a big bill. So I'm trusting, I'm trusting the internet, and you should never trust the internet. So we we can fuzz stuff out during uh, during post production if you want us to. Yeah, I don't think there's, I don't think my account number is on any. I did this. I walked through this right before this piece, so hopefully that that this shouldn't be a uh, a big deal. If there is, then I will go post and do this do this i think the only exception here is my the login for my account and if you can hack my password god bless you and you know <laughs> good job so we clicked on the from the control panel i had already logged in from the control panel we're seeing the um our initial dashboard. This is the same dashboard that you'll get the first time you log into IAM. Matter of fact, now you may, I can't remember, you may or may not get a, uh, you may or may not get a wizard at the beginning to help you walk through some of this stuff. Matter of fact, after this, one of these action items, I'm reminded that I'll take, so I'll actually take one of these action items. So delete your root access keys you AWS gives you a set of access keys that you can use to do uh, to access the control uh, the AWS control panel via the API you it's like everything else you don't want to use your AWS account via the root account neither do you want to use root access keys if your root access keys get out you are pwned if my account gets out into the wild then I can just go back and disable that account that got pwned. You can't disable the root access account. Well, if that gets pwned, it gets pwned. That's not a good thing. So just best practice, delete your root access keys. Activate MFA on your root account. That's activating root access, root, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, activating multi-factor authentication on your uh, root account very good uh, to do. I just some of this this uh, create individual I am users was actually done. I deleted the account because I hadn't used it in a while. So we'll create a new I am account. Uh, each person this is just this is not AWS. This is where we talk about that shared responsibility. This is just good security practices. Each user should have their own account each uh, system or type of service, if you're creating service accounts, should have their own account. Create, create individual IAM users. Use groups to assign permissions. Again, while I can assign permissions to an individual, just like an Active Directory, I can assign permissions to an individual user. Individual users change. Groups typically don't. You can assign a right or role or uh, security to a user group and then put user objects into that group and then they would inherit those rights of the group. Very similar to Active Directory and other LDAP tools. Just again, great policy. Apply an IAM password policy again. This is, you know, uh, parallel to Active Directory being able to set up policies such as you shall use 
uh, complex passwords. Password expires every 90 days, or in the case in some places, I've been every week for whatever crazy reason. So uh, that is the main dashboard, the low-hanging fruit AWS wants you to knock out. So let's do some practical stuff. Let's let's create a group. We're going to go into groups. The one group that you'll have by default is administrators. I, uh, or I'm not sure if, if it's by default or if I created that, but let's create a new group, and let's call this V Brown Bag. Now, we assign rights via policies in AWS. So this, I don't know if there's, so in, in the Windows, and it's been a long time since I've administered Windows, but in Windows, remember we have uh, roles like uh, power user or backup operators or something to that effect. It's a predetermined set of rules that you can uh, assign to a individual group it says quick and short cut. So AWS has a similar concept of, it's called policies. If you look at some of these, let's take a random, random one, such as app uh, Dynamo DB, uh, full access. We'll do, We'll go. We'll assign this policy, and then we'll come back and look at it in the policies tab. We'll review what we're about to do. We're going to create the group v brown bag. We're going to assign the policy Amazon Dynamo DB full access, and then create the group. And now we have the group. Now let's go ahead and create a user. This is again pretty straightforward. And we'll call this user Tom because we're going to pick on Tom. And this is actually something, I don't know if I remember seeing this, but programmatic access versus AWS management access. So we can either give a, uh, a, a certificate and set of keys to someone to use uh, this account via API. So if I wanted to create a command line script or I wanted to create something in Python, that does activity on as this user, I choose progr programmatic access, or I can choose what we're doing now, which is to access AWS Management Console. So I'm going to choose that, and we're going to auto-generate the password, and user must create password upon next login. Typical stuff that we see in, in uh, traditional enterprises. We're going to add him to the V Brown Bag group, we're going to review. Here's our guy. We're going to create the user. We've successfully created the user. And of course, the password we can't see because this would, we'd have to get you guys to, to blur that out. So fortunately, we can't see that. And we can email Tom his password, and then he'll be able to go to the, the, uh, Account login, type in Tom, type in that password, get prompted to change the password, and he'd be logged in to the AWS, this AWS account with that uh, DynamoDB full uh, rights. So roles is one of those things that is a little bit uh, hard to wrap our minds around. It's, 
at least I had a hard time with it, is the ability to have a user or group or system take on a specific role. So if you're a uh, EC2 instance and you want to you want to create encryption keys, you'd have the encryption key creation option. That's all we're going to say about roles. I don't. I've not seen them used practically. I'm sure there are plenty of people that use use roles, but I haven't seen them used practically. So we'll pause here. Any questions so far on groups, users, or roles? Uh, I actually have two or maybe two and a half, depending on how you count them. Uh, one is, can you set up temporary users that have an expiration uh, date? Say, like you had a consultant or someone that needed to get in. You know, if well, actually, that, that's more of a temporary access. So if you do, if you read the, the documentation on roles, that's the point of a role. The, you can create a role that has limited access for a limited amount of time, but I don't know if you can set up a user account that only has this activated for a period of time. That would be a uh, that would be so. If you want to just have a uh, system have temporary access, but you don't want to change the security groups or of a individual user or a group, then you can uh, assign that role temporarily and take that role away. So, Tom, the, in order to do what you're saying of uh, when we do this in Active Directory, which is consultant has a has rights from has this account from this date to this date would be a third party tool to do that for us. And uh, since you mentioned Active Directory, is another one was sort of on that role of are you able to use one of the um, one of their directories to sync with your on-premises Active Directory to uh, assign those accounts. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll touch on that. We'll touch on that actually quick. That's the really quickly. That's a good question. After we talk about policies. All right. Well, then that's all I got. All right. Those are good questions. This is why I like live. All right. So we're going to go back to that DynamoDB uh, full access policy and just take a look at a at the actual policy itself. So we're going to take a look. So this was the policy summary, which is what we're getting rights to. Uh, CloudWatch and AWS from the last time I've delved in this has done a much better job of showing this. So basically allow six of the 100 services available in AWS. CloudWatch, I have read write access to it data pipeline, I have list read and write, DynamoDB, of course, I have full rights, I am, I can list the services in I am, Lambda, lead, list, read, read, write, and SNS, which is short, simple net networks, I can't, it's a uh, messaging service. And then if we want to actually see the JSON that actually creates the rights, and this is the, the, Again, this you can spend when you create your own group or your own policy. You can spend quite a bit of time in labs creating various security policies. This is actually the code, the JSON code that allows us to uh, uh, provide or de deny access. So we're going to look at this really quickly because this is again maybe a class by itself. 
So the action, uh, we're seeing what, what AWS control panel activities that this action allows, close, and then effect allow. So, and then there's, we could also uh, choose effect deny. So if we wanted to take a administrator, but give, take away certain, basically in the inverse, create an administrative group, but uh, give them full access to everything in AWS, including new services, with the exception of DynamoDB, we can take these same actions and at the end, choose the uh, effect deny and the resource. Uh, as you can, when I did the a demo of this, I spent literally hours just trying to get a role to work for key management systems. If you're the, 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 the take a look at, it, I think the last count, I think AWS had like 200 uh, default uh, policies. If you can't find the policy you need to, yeah, here it is, right here, showing 258. The you can have there's 258. Uh, default policies and if you can't find one of those policies to base what you want to create off of then you have a really special use case have you yet have you ever created a custom policy yet not by uh not from scratch i've i've taken there's a um for a key management system for the key management system in order to uh assign I think it, it was CloudWatch. They might have fixed it by now. You had to create a, you had to give CloudWatch or something the ability to create, uh, if you wanted to basically create encrypted logs of your CloudWatch, you had to give CloudWatch the create uh, key capability. So there was no, there was no default group for that, but AWS and the documentation had the, the uh, the sample code to to create the 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 key, the, key, the uh, policy. So I, I I leveraged that, and that was like the closest I've done gotten to to creating a custom policy. And I it took because the formatting was off, and it was a PDF. And I'm not a programmer, so it took me forever to get the open brackets and closed brackets right. It was all syntax and formatting the logic was fine it was the formatting of the of the brackets that that killed me gotcha all right so the next question which was on uh if we're done with policies if there's no other questions on policies and i have to speed it up because i really want to get to encryption too uh i don't have any uh identity providers this is where you create the provider. This is where you connect to a, another LDAP-based database, such as uh, Active Directory. So we can do our own uh, um, connection to AD or some other uh, LDAP-based solution. I've never done this practically. Uh, most people actually look towards third-party tools to do this for you because if you if you're looking connect to connect to AD. Uh, you're looking to extend your AD policies into AWS, and that is something that's still a uh, third-party type of setup. All right, so that's that's all we're going to touch on on IAM outside of security keys, and we may not make it to security keys. So I'll make it known here. 
KMS, Key Management System, the system, AWS is Key Management System. You access it through IAM, and you go through this IAM dashboard to get the security keys, so encryption keys. So that's an important step. If you, you can understand all you want about key management systems and keys, but if you don't uh, know where to, to, to configure it, then, you know, you kind of have a problem. All right, any questions on uh, identity access management? We're all clear on uh, Twitter. Guys, this is, I have to tell you, this is fun. I'm really enjoying myself. This is way better than doing a course in which I'm talking to myself, which is not fun. <laughs> v Brown bag, way better than Pluralsight. Wait, what? Well, yeah, don't, don't quote me on it. <laughs> that is now going on YouTube. <laughs> no, Post it. No, wait. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's go back to our presentation. So that point, I am comparable to AD but different. And we saw how it was comparable but different. All right, this is a fun, fun topic. And when I say fun, I mean fun like going to the dentist. But we have to talk about it because S3 is the oldest service in AWS, and it is actually really important stuff, which is data encryption and access. We're not going to talk much about access control because I think I've given you enough tools in IAM to understand the general concept of access control in AWS. A lot of this actually applies to S3. So when you go to S3, create a bucket, create rewrite access to that bucket, you'll, you'll, I think you'll have a good feel for it based on what we've done so far tonight. But encryption starts with key management. So we need keys. I showed you an IAM where we can go in and, and manage keys in AWS. But from a high level, there's two different approaches to key management in AWS. I can, I can have allow AWS to manage my keys or use AWS. Uh, I can allow AWS to manage my keys or I can myself manage my keys. And within AWS's uh, platform, there's basically three different options for uh, key management and thus encryption. So, you know what, I'm not going to, you guys know I'm not a speeds and feeds guy. So, you know, there's 256-bit, blah, 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 encryption. It's, it's encrypted with some of the strongest encryption that we'll practically use in the enterprise. That's the di disclaimer. Let's talk about the stuff that's probably value add for tonight and maybe a little bit harder to see. And when you see this stuff, you can have some point of reference to go back and, and listen to someone's voice talking about it. So from the encryption types, how do I actually encrypt the data? We have two basic concepts. We have server-side encryption, and then we have client-side encryption. Server-side encryption means that I'm encrypting on the AWS side of the house. Client-side encryption means that I'm uh, encrypting uh, not using AWS encryption-based services. So this could literally mean, so I'm not using S3 
built-in encryption to uh, to encrypt the data. Data. I'm using something else on the client side. The client could be an EC2 instance. So if you're that, that's considered client client side encryption. If I'm if I have some encryption software installed on my EC2 uh, service and I'm encrypting the data before I write it to S3, that's considered client side encryption. If I'm encrypting it on my on-premises solution before I upload it to S3, that's also in, uh, considered client-side encryption. Server-side encryption, basically, I'm leveraging S3 to encrypt the data when it gets written to S3. So critical point to stop at, anyone have questions on server-side encryption versus client-side encryption? Uh, I, ha I actually have several, but that's w way, way too deep of a dive for an, for an associate level examination. Um, okay. Because <laughs> I, I have an ELB that's, that's kicking my butt. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know what? It, it, it probably goes through, it's, it's probably an access question of does the ELB elastic. And this is, this is a key because it's access control. Not, so, so, Chris, go ahead and ask the question, and then if no. it goes too deep. No, no, it's 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 like a super deep dive. I mean, there's X forward or four is going back to the to the to the web server, and and uh, and and they want client side encryption, but it's it's a it's a it's a very it very not, convoluted. Does not belong okay. in this format of venue. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So server side encryption. Uh, so let's talk about the so it's SSE. All three options are SSE server side encryption for the server-side encryption. So SSE, don't get, don't get freaked out about SSE part of it. That's server-side encryption. The n n next portion of the name dictates what type of encryption that you're doing. SSE S3, and this is all about key management, basically. Server-side encryption with AWS managed keys. This is, you know what, I want the data to be encrypted at, at rest, and I don't want to worry about uh, key management, uh, meaning the keys to unlock the encryption. That simple. There's a, you know, a, a private key, a public key. I don't care about that key management. I just want to know that it's encrypted so that if someone else outside of uh, my organization got the raw data, they could not unencrypt it without the keys and these keys are magically managed by AWS. Quick disadvantage of that, the obvious disadvantage to that is that you don't manage the keys. So if AWS is asked for your encryption, asked for your data by a authorized party such as the government, they have to turn over the data in the encryption keys because they have both. Important uh, important um, differentiation. So S3 option, I like it that they uh, named it S3 because it's simple. So I want a, I want encryption. There's no reason why not to do this otherwise, because S3, if AWS gets uh, a subpoena for your data, they got to give it over anyway. Not a big deal. And low hanging fruit, enable it. SS E KMS. KMS means key managed system. This is a value add option that AWS has. K 
key management is guess what is a pain in the butt you have you, you switch out keys you need to rotate keys aws actually in the automated system aws does that for us they automate the they randomize the keys they refresh them every now and again they they do all of that for us in an s3 kms is uh we're using the aws key management system and we're taking a higher level of control we want to manage keys we want to assign rights to applications to be able to manage keys we want to have uh, auditors come in and look at the key management system and poke holes at it and look at when was the last time we rotated keys etc it's more value it is a paid service to AWS. I don't know how much it costs. I've never used it. This is again has the disadvantage. The key managed AMD, uh, KMS is AWS key managed system. Therefore, AWS still has the keys. They have they can if subpoenaed have to give that key those keys to whoever has the authorized subpoena. So, if that is a concern. Or if you're in a mature environment, you already have a, uh, a key management system. You can bring your own keys to S3 and issue those keys and manage those keys on your own behalf. So SSEC, the C stands for Customer Server-Side Encryption with Customer Managed Keys. You are managing the keys. So you, you, you manage the keys and you have you have access, you're the only one that has access to your side of the, of the shared keys. I'll give, I'll, I'll give you a virtual donut if, you can do, if someone can guess what my warning is on the end of this uh, bullet. Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? The, the warning is this can't be recovered by AWS. If you lose your keys, just like in any other encryption, if you lose your keys, AWS can't recover the data, they, the, the, the unencrypted data. The data is there. It's replicated. You can replicate it to another region from Virginia East to Ohio East. It can be in two different. It can be completely redundant, but it will be useless if you lose your keys. AWS can't uh, recover it. It's strong in, in, in encryption. That data is lost. So if you're going to manage your own keys, make sure you know what you're doing is the bottom line. Because if you lose them, the data is lost. So Graham Mitchell gets the virtual donut. As, as Right as you started talking, he said, don't forget your keys. <laughs> um, there you go. <laughs> good, good, good job, Graham. All right. Uh, last point client-side encryption we talked about this the only thing that I want to highlight is again um, uh, key management you have the option if you're encrypting encrypting data on s3 uh, via EC2 instance or some process on your on-premises solution you have the option of course to manage the keys yourself or you can use AWS KMS to manage the, the uh, keys so the kind of gotcha value add of KMS, it's a key management system. 
you don't have to use it just for AWS services. You can use it for applications. If you're building an application that needs a key management system, you can use AWS's key management systems. There's APIs to it. Uh, if you're encryption, if you're encrypting something on premises, it's again a key management system, so it, it, it's not regulated to just AWS. I think is a, a, a key value endpoint. All right, I think I'm thinking that was the last slide. Let's see. Yes, that was the last slide. So we'll open up for we're five minutes over, but I have all the time that you. You know, I don't know if there's a is there a time limit on uh v brown bags uh generally what we try to do is is we'll do if if, if they want to do the presentation straight out and then we'll do Q, and then q a at the end we'll do like a 45 minutes for a presentation and then then uh try to try to reserve 15 for q a if uh if they field questions throughout the entire thing then we'll just go the full hour okay so there you go i'll leave we're five minutes over but i'll if if uh, Tom and Chris don't matter, I'll I'll leave open for any questions, and no. uh, then we'll call it. We, we do so, this because it's fun. So keep them coming. All right. So questions. Let's see. Tom. Uh, Matt Crape has said he didn't have a question. He had a comment hmm. saying a lot of best practices tonight. Takeaways for non AWS environments as well. So yeah, I've noticed that too. Thanks a lot, Keith. You just have gone over a lot of great stuff to use anywhere, not just in the cloud. Yeah, I was, I was hoping to just, you know, this is just a lot of it, you know, security in a lot of instances is just common sense and understanding where the knobs are. You know what knobs you want to turn? It's, it's where are those knobs in AWS and how are those knobs different? And also, if any of you uh, who are listening want to speak up and say hi, just raise your hand or let me know, and I'll unmute you. Cool. All right. Well, Mr. Townsend, once again, we we always love having you on. Thank you. Thank you very much for for taking time out of your out of your busy blogging day and your advising of the CTO's day. Yeah, I know it's hectic. <laughs> <laughs> um. Awesome. Well, uh, w once again, th thanks very much, uh, and it looks like we are clean for questions. Tom, do you see any more? No, nope, that's it. Awesome. All right, Keith, thanks again. Uh, thanks again a bunch. We really appreciate it. Very much welcome. All right, bye-bye.